Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's good to see all of you. Good to be with you at home who are worshiping with us online. I cannot help but be mindful as I stand up here on this gorgeous day in this place of safety to think of our brothers and sisters who are not so fortunate, those in Afghanistan who are trying to figure out how to worship the Lord in safety today, those in Louisiana who are trying to figure out how to worship the Lord in safety today. It is a mercy and a grace, isn't it, that we can come together as as we have done and do so without fear. So thank God for that and thank God for you being here today. The other day, Cindy and I went over to see our son uh, and his family. Cooper greeted us at the door, and our inaugural granddaughter was sitting on his shoulders at the time, just beaming. Both of them were smiling. It was the most wonderful way to enter their house. And wow, did that that bring back uh, memories for me of hauling my kids around on my shoulders. How many of you dads can remember that very same thing? Pretty sweet, right? And uh, and so Cece sat there on, on Cooper's shoulders and looked down at us and was smiling and promptly threw up all over her dad's head. <laughs> and wow, did that bring back memories, right? What dad here has not had their kid throw up all over them? And I was laughing so hard, and Cooper was so grossed out that I was, I was trying not to laugh too hard, but man, I was working it, uh, and he was just, he was so disgusted. And uh, I, it was hard for me to keep from saying, dude, what goes around comes around, <laughs> right? How many dads have had to endure all of that? As parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, we are actually willing to put up with a lot of mess, aren't we, for the sake of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Because of the many things that we are for as Christ followers, which is our theme for this sermon series, certainly one of the things we are for is the next generation. The next generation. That's what I want to talk about this morning. What does it look like uh, for us to, to do the rewarding, though sometimes messy work, of investing in the next generation? Because that has always been a part of the Chapel Hill DNA. Always. And I think it's important at the outset when I'm talking about this to declare that when we are saying that we are for the next generation, it does not diminish this generation. Sometimes we oldsters, and I put myself in that category, sometimes we can get our nose a little bent out of shape when we think that the church is focusing too much on kids. But I want us to think about it in this way this morning. All that matters most deeply to us, all that matters most deeply to us, our faith, our values, our heritage, the legacy that we we have. We treasure these things, right? And surely we want to pass these on to our children and to our grandchildren and to our great-grandchildren. We would be monstrous if we didn't. The things that matter most in our heart, we want to pass them on. And yet, as I've told you before, statistically, the kids who are raised in the church today, who walk off out the door to university today, of that group of kids, we are told, 59% of them will never return to the church and never return to the faith. That is horrifying to me. And I'm not willing to settle for that. Are you? We want to leave a legacy, don't we? And so we will seek 
to find creative ways to pass our faith on to the next generation, just as the Apostle Paul did. That's who I want to take a look at this morning out of his second letter to his young protege, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, opening verses. If you'd like to turn with me there, Second Timothy 1, the opening verses. Here's how Paul begins his letter to his friend. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands my hands, Paul says. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul met thousands of people in his journeys, something like 10,000 miles Paul walked to serve the Lord as the great apostle. He worked with hundreds of leaders and he trained up many associates who are named in Scripture to share in his leadership. But only one of those trusted associates ended up having two books that were named after him making their way into the New Testament. And that was Timothy. Paul saw something special in this young man, and he took him under his wing. We are able to discern from the smatterings of references to him throughout the New Testament, that Timothy, although he was obviously a very gifted young man, he had his issues. He was insecure. He was anxious. He didn't think he was a very good speaker. He might have even had an ulcer that needed a little attention from Apostle Paul. And despite all of these issues, these things, and his young years, Paul believed in him. In fact, he, as we are told in there, he laid hands on Timothy and prayed that the Holy Spirit would anoint him, and he set him apart for his own apostolic ministry. If you recall, Paul even mentioned him in a letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. I preached on this earlier, but let me just remind you what Paul said about Timothy in his letter to the Philippians. He said, I have no one like him. That's something, right? I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You remember that Paul wrote that letter from prison, right? Philippians is one of what we call the prison epistles. Well, he's in prison again. Did you know that? He is writing this letter to Timothy from prison again. And in this time, it will be his last he was released when he was in prison and writing to the Philippians to his surprise, but not this time. This time, this imprisonment will lead to his execution. And so literally his days are ticking away. 
And 2 Timothy is his last letter that we have from Paul. 2 Timothy is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul, the last words we have from his hand. And as you read through it, it is a very tender, very personal letter. And you hear that from the very opening words, don't you? Paul calls Timothy his beloved child. Did you hear that? His beloved child. And he tells how he prays constantly for Timothy. Night and day, he carries the burden of this young man in his heart and prays for him. He recalls their last goodbye, how tearful it was. Timothy couldn't even control himself. He was, he was so emotional. And he expresses to his son the hope, his spiritual son, that he will see him one more time before he dies, that he will come to him. And in this passage, we see he urges Timothy to fan into flames the gifts and the calling that Paul believed were upon his life. And that now, apparently, in this young man, had begun to cool. Why? I imagine he was depressed or despairing about Paul's imprisonment. Maybe that was why he was just so discouraged. And so Paul wants to fan all of that back into flame. And I would say the tone of this letter captures the starting point for us when we're talking about the spiritual legacy that we wish to leave behind. This is where it begins. A deep, deep love for the next generation. A deep, deep love for the next generation. Often we older brothers and sisters in the Lord can get a little grouchy about the next gen. We get irritated, we get disappointed, we get frustrated because those kids don't appreciate what they have. They don't understand how good they have it. They don't respect their elders, they don't respect their past. If it's any encouragement to you, every older generation has said the same thing about every younger generation that has ever existed through the entirety of the human experience. I want you to listen, for instance, to these grouchy words and see if you can identify the speaker. Here's what one writer said. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. Who is reputed to have said this? Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. So for at least 2,500 years, the older generation has been irritated with the younger generation. So get in line. But oh, if you love them, if you have tenderness in your heart for them, despite the irritations, if you pour into them and encourage them and champion them and bet on them and take risks on them, generation after generation after generation, they still come through. This one will too. And that's another aspect that I want to look at from this passage. Did you notice the generations in the reading? The passing on of the baton of faith from generation to generation. Paul starts by mentioning his own ancestors. The heritage of faith handed down to him from his ancestors. And then he mentions Timothy's godly grandmother, Eunice. And his godly mother, Lois. 
You hear the listing of the generations one after another, handing on this legacy of faith and faithfulness. It's why we celebrate St. Andrew's Sunday every November, when we remember those who have gone before us, those upon whose shoulders we stand. Paul called out the faithfulness of the previous generations, and now he's He's calling Timothy to take his place in that grand procession of faith and faithfulness. He knows he's about to die, Paul does. And more than anything else, he wants to make sure that the ongoing work of the gospel is in good hands. And he believes in Timothy for that call. I believe in our young people. They are incredible. I wish you could meet some of them. And you believe in our young people. You always have. That's why Chapel Hill has invested in children and students from the beginning of its existence. It's why Chapel Hill has invested, get this, more than $375,000 in interns over the years. Because we want to train up a new generation of leaders. It's why part of our Beyond These Walls budget includes nearly $70,000 annually to invest in short-term internships that will train and launch a next generation of disciple-makers. It's why Chapel Hill has launched 30 full-time missionaries into the field across the world. And it's why Chapel Hill has trained, ordained, and sent 21 pastors with three more in the pipeline. That is an incredible legacy. I'm not even sure you realize that we just, oh, I'm another pastor. We just got to take it for granted. Do you know how remarkable that is? Few churches ever produce even one ordained pastor. You have produced 21 and maybe 24. Now, why has that happened? Because we are intentional about it. And because you support it. Because when young green pastors stand up to preach their first sermon or their second, or their third. You lean forward and you cheer them on instead of leaning back and crossing your arms and saying, okay, Bible banger, show me what you got. It's because we look for the Timothys in our midst. On staff, we have a model, keep your head on a swivel. And by that, we mean keep your eye out for spirit-anointed talent. Notice it, call it out, encourage it, recruit it, train it, and fan it into flame, just as Paul did with young Timothy. And noticing and calling out and investing and training a next generation of leaders is nothing new for this church. You were doing it before I arrived. And it might be argued that you did it when I arrived at the age of 30. You took a huge risk on me as a young man. For which I will always be grateful, my sweetheart church. Chapel Hill has always been for the next generation in this way. But now we are investing in the next generation in a new way. And it's a very exciting way. We have become a church planting church. We have launched our first daughter church, Chapel Hill Port Orchard. And even now, believe it or not, we are already laying plans to launch the next one. And I am so excited this morning, I, I know how enthused you were because you couldn't help yourself, but to welcome back our daughter in the Lord, our dear sister, who is the lead pastor at Chapel Hill Port Orgy, Pastor Megan. Would you welcome her one more time up here? Thanks. 
I was telling Megan as we were sitting up front how fun it is to lead in worship with her. I, I realize how much I miss her spirit and her Thanks. professionalism and her excellence and her deep spirit. So, well, Megan, for the first 25 years of my ministry here at Chapel Hill, we never even talked about church planning. It wasn't on our radar screen. Frankly, we were kind of busy just building this church. But when we came into the EPC back in 2012, our new wonderful denominational church home, suddenly the idea of planting a, a daughter church ended up on our radar. And uh, it became a part of the conversation of the session and of the staff. But at some point, that that conversation became way more personal for you, didn't it? Could you yeah. remind us of how that happened? Yeah, well, we got curious about church planting as a movement. That might even be new language for you, but what was happening in the global world, really, not just the national world, was that church planting appeared to be the most effective way to share the gospel with new people for a myriad of reasons we could talk about at the Wood Ball if you want to hear more about that. And of course, we live in an area where there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. In Kitsap County, where I serve now, there's 91% of the population does not practice a regular faith in Jesus. Say that number one more time. 91% of Kitsap 91%. County does not regularly practice faith in Jesus. And so we got curious because we love people and because we believe our message is worth sharing. And we realized at the time that 10% of the people who came on Sunday mornings to Gig Harbor were coming from Port Orchard. And it made us realize that we were actually a more regional church than we knew. Yeah. And because my military family, my Navy family, my dad's commanding officer and navigator in Port Orchard and have been for a long time, that's my connection to the area, I raised my hand to say, I'll go check out what God's doing in Port Orchard and why people drive down from there. And we went with two particular questions to pray. We asked, is there spiritual hunger? Are there people who are looking to talk about God? And we asked, are there people with um, what I'm calling a kingdom imagination, meaning that the way that they work and live and operate their business is moving toward the things that God is moving toward. They look like his eternal shalom, justice and equality and peace and thriving and whether or not they know Jesus. And I was so overwhelmed and blessed to recognize how many people were moving toward God in Port Orchard and didn't know him. Yeah. So... I was on board. And so, we, I mean, we've been talking about launching for, gosh, more than five years. Three years ago, you guys went off to do assessment to see if you and Larry had spiritual gifts for church planting. And, and we discovered, in fact, an enthusiastic yes to, to that question. And so we planned, 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 and we thought, okay, it's time to, time to make it happen. And so we were ready. Easter, April 2020, that was going to be our launch date of our new church. Woohoo! I know. Well, the let, worst timing oh my gosh. ever. Well, let me back up in the timeline because there was a series of, hmm, about the timing. Let's just say that way. So we announced February of 2019 that we were going to plant a church. And so we, we met, we had some interest meetings. We packed out Josephine's that first time. Yep, I remember. Remember that? Yep. And we, um, then we, the, the question was, how are we going to gather in worship and how are we going to love our neighbors? And then turns out from that point forward, it had to change every quarter. Every quarter. <laughs> <Just> every quarter. <laughs> so 
Come the start of 2020, we were gathering a launch team and we had 58 people who committed on March 8th, 2020. You guys remember that day, that Sunday? To pray and give and serve and bring their friends. And we are ready to meet at South Kitsap High School. Unprecedented access to the high school that had never happened before for a church. Dave Goodwin is, God bless him. Um, all these wide open doors, we thought we were good to go. And then we got, had to get creative and innovate again. So a new quarter, a new question of how do we worship? How do we gather to bring God glory in Port Orchard? And then how do we love our neighbor? Same question, different rodeo. So <laughs> then we started meeting in backyards for in-depth prayer on Sundays in the summer. We also did hiking communion in the parks. Anything we could do, right? And then God opened up a space for us in September at the Nazarene building. The Nazarene denomination opened their building to us to worship on Tuesday nights. So we've been worshiping there on Tuesdays and really just leaning into where God has us when he has us there. <laughs> um, so uh, that's been kind of home base mm -hmm. for this last many, many months was this Nazarene church. Mm -hmm. It's kind of on the suburbs of right. Port Orchard. But really from the beginning, you had a passion for downtown. You just, your prayer walks and yeah. all of that, you had a passion for the downtown. And the Lord in recent days, really in quite remarkable ways, rekindled that passion right. in a way that is, I think, miraculous. Yeah. I would love for you guys to lean into the timing of this. We would find out on May 11th, May 9th, it was my birthday. We'd find out on May 9th that we could not meet in the Nazarene building anymore. The Sunday before that, this last, yeah, this May, the Sunday before that. So just like feel with me, like the change again, right? But the week before that, our team had really started to adopt this language that we wanted to be a church for our neighbors, that we wanted to seek the shalom of our neighborhood. The next morning, I'm walking with Tony George, some of you guys might know him, and rekindling this passion through his vision for Port Orchard of why we came there in the first place. Downtown. Downtown. So he's like, let's, let's go get creative. Let's walk downtown and see what spaces are available. I'm telling him the story while we're walking of praying on September 6th, 2018. I had to look up that date. It was one of those Thursday prayer days in Port Orchard. Praying for a, ch a home. A specific a house, home. A specific house downtown that was boarded up and burned out. And I took that picture that day. It was with Stormy Donato and Larry praying because it felt like something happened while we prayed over that house. And I wanted to remember that. So I'm telling Tony the story. The last time I walked the street was when I was Two years earlier. House. Almost three. Three years. And then turn the corner and that house is for sale. Yeah. And then because God is who he is, and because you have crazy people here who love this next crazy generation and are willing to take big risks by faith and not by sight, there's a benefactor in this congregation who said, I'll buy you that house. But it was already sold. It was already sold. Okay, so let Spencer Hutchins fill in that because he tells that story so much better of the miracles of just the sale of a house in 2021. So on Monday, I walked the house. Okay, I gotta tell him this story because yeah. this, this, this congregation will especially love this. Do you know where Mark is on Monday, May 3rd, 2021? He's out of town. So I try to call him to let him know I might be buying a house. Playing golf. Oh, perfect. You outed yourself. So then I text, he doesn't respond. This is 6.30 on Monday night. 
we're putting in an offer the next day. So I text him, I think I might have spent a million dollars. Do you want to call me? <laughs> he called immediately. Oh, gosh. Golf I didn't really golf. spend the million. Somebody else did. Thanks be to God. But we're running it back. But we were given access to this house that three years ago was burned down and boarded up. And God has given it to us. Isn't that holy? I want you to remember, I feel like the, one of the themes of today is just remembering, like investing where God has you. You don't know what's going to come of it. I didn't know that that, t- I did know, my soul knew, but that 10-minute prayer three years ago would bring about a renovation of this home. And so we moved in, and now we're back downtown. Larry is there this morning leading worship with Cindy Wilson. We're doing things really funky and old there. So we're doing some ancient church practices, reading the scripture and reflecting back and listening to one another and reconnecting in dialogue. And then they're going on a hike because that's what we do. And it has six bedrooms, seven bedrooms. So it'll be our new intern house. So we'll be able to house our interns both there and Gig Harbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the dream that we have of raising up a new generation, uh, we're calling it right now, what's the name of the house? We're calling it the Kitsap House. It's on Kitsap Street. It's 703 Kitsap, so why not, right? It just, people remember where we are. Shared ministry, shared life. So we are, I work out of the building, as does Young Life and the staff and volunteers of Chapel Hill Port Orchard. And then we're going to be able to house five interns. Um, the second is moving in this weekend. We know of, um, we're taking applications, actually, for other interns. We love people who work and study in Kitsap. We're holding, holding a spot for an intern here. If you know somebody in their 20s who wants to do shared life, communal life, and needs a break on their rent, um, send them my way because we're taking that up now. But and, and the really cool thing about okay. this is they make this offer in a house that's already sold and right. gets unsold by God's grace and becomes sold for our benefactor and mm-hmm. available to us. Mm-hmm. Two days later, right. you get the news that the church in which you are meeting suddenly doesn't want you to meet there So imagine that. Sunday, Monday, walk the house. Wednesday, put the offer in. And then Sunday, I find out we can't be in the Nazarene building anymore. And how dispiriting that would have been if you hadn't had I know. I feel like the Lord knew. She just can't do one more week. (laughs) (laughs) But I think he wanted me to know that he's ahead of me. I have never felt more in this season of my life that the Spirit's actually five steps ahead of me and going, Meg, let's get, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so here we are, we're meeting on Sunday mornings. We have two more Tuesday nights. You had six who were brand new showed up last Sunday? Last Sunday, six who'd never been on a Sunday morning came. One who is experiencing a radical conversion. She's giving a lot of credit to Jesus for changes in her life. She was the one to ask for a Bible study. Do you have a Bible study for moms? Now she's got seven moms coming. This is just where God's ahead of us, and it's really beautiful and holy. We'll be doing a launch to the neighborhood, right? About worshiping God and loving our neighborhood, right? Those are the two things we want to do well. So on the 12th, we, have, we are going to do a big barbecue, the whole hog barbecue, after a worship service at 11 o'clock in the house. We're worshiping in the house. Um, and God, a literal whole hog. And a literal whole hog, because as it, as it happens, when you do ministry in Port Orchard, somebody calls you and says, could I donate one of my pigs to the church? And you're like, I don't, sure, I don't know. 
And then I ask my church planning buddies, have you ever had a pig donated to your church? And one of them says, well, I'm a chef and I'll come barbecue it for you. I'm like, okay, so that's what we're doing. That doesn't happen in synagogue plants often. It doesn't. It doesn't. I've been really like thinking about They the located the uh, unused septic oh tank in the back and they're going to bury it. Well, God bless no, Peter. Not, God bless Peter. We're in, the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're in that church. So, um, and you, we start worship there. Sunday worship when? We started Sunday worship there in July. So we're continuing Sunday worship there and the 12th will Transition be a big kick Tuesday. Off, big kick so off. that'll be. Yeah, so the, we have two more Tuesday nights. If you want to double dip and come on a Tuesday, you've got two more chances for that at the Nazarene building. And then everything forward is at 73 Kits Up. We've had a motto from the very beginning that Port Orchard is our first of, Amen. not a one off. Yes. Could you tell everyone what we mean by that? Yes. Well, once you get it in your gut that Jesus loves people that don't know him and that you're surrounded by them, you can't just think about your immediate neighbors. So my heart is so much bigger than just Kitsap County for what God wants to do and who he wants to reach. And we're in a denomination and it's, we don't have churches in the big college towns. Um, Pullman, in fact, we don't have a single EPC church Seattle. in any big city in all of Washington in State. In all of Washington. Not one EPC church in any large city. And then you start talking to guys like in Spokane, Mark's friends at Wartworth, they have 25 church planters in a cohort. They planted nine churches in the last two years. And you go, I want in on that. I want to be part of that. I want to see God raise up churches in every city because I care about the fact that People know that there's something not right with the world, and they don't know that God has a plan to set it right. And so I want them to know. I want them in on it. Yeah. So we are, we're aiming for our next church planter. We, are, um, we have that job description up. If you guys have somebody who wants to move back to the Seattle area, you got a college student graduating, you know somebody, we, we would love to, to raise up the next church planter, whether they are ready to go and launch. Yep. We're, Scott Griffin and I and Bart Brinstad, we're having some conversations about how to get that ready to go. Or if they're going to come and do a residency in Port Orchard to shore up those. We, we have to have a weird set of skills as church planters. And if we can just shore up those skills, we'll get them launched. And the cool thing is, because of Beyond These Walls, we are able to set aside a portion of money every year that is really a remarkable investment in church planning. That we don't have to own it. We don't have to hold on to it. We want to give it to our Presbyterian. And, but we want to provide some leadership from the things that we're learning. And so our hope would be we would be a part of planting one church after another after another throughout our Presbytery. Mm -hmm. Through Washington and Oregon. Mm -hmm. And in places where they just need more of, of Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Megan is leading the charge on that. Would you say thank you to her for all that she's doing? Okay. Still here. Okay. Isn't it exciting? It's hard not to get pretty enthusiastic about all, all of this. I want to return to our uh, text to close this morning. Here's what Paul says as he closes that section. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that you are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And I wonder if you heard the legacy language in that paragraph. Paul talks about this gospel that has been entrusted to him. 
And then he closes with the declaration that the Holy Spirit will guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Do you see that? Paul and now Timothy. And that's legacy living. That's what it means for us to be for our next generation. We pray that the Holy Spirit will guard the sacred gift of faith that has been entrusted to us and that we now entrust to our next generation. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Entrusted is that word that I love. A faith entrusted from generation to generation to generation. It's the only way our faith ever remains alive. Generation to generation. So thank you. Thank you for your part in this, for your giving, for your faithfulness, for your volunteering, for your praying, for your coming to eat some hog, uh, and, and all of the rest. This is your investment in our next generation, and, and I'm going to ask Pastor Megan to pray that the Holy Spirit will guard this deposit that has been entrusted to us. All right? Would you do that? Mm-hmm. Father, I thank you. Um... I bless this church, I bless Chapel Hill Church, I bless Pastor Mark who had the head on a swivel to see a couple that um, unconventional and to call us up and to train us up. Thank you for the sending and the generosity of this church to send us. Lord, I, um, it's just impressed upon me as, uh, as I look out, Father, that Mark and I are unique in being clergy, but that doesn't mean that you haven't called all of us to be disciple makers. And so I pray Um, that everyone here, everyone online who hears this would have an imagination for who God would have them called to come alongside. Lord, would you entrust the gospel through this congregation to the world? Lord, that people might know that there is a God in heaven who sees us, who is going to set the world right. And with that hope, give us faith when we cannot see. Hmm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.